You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. Jesus is the shepherd who became a sacrificial lamb. Learn more about this truth in our series, BC. Listen to this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. This is actually our second installment of our series entitled BC. BC meaning before Christ. Last week, we talked about God becoming man. And today, we're going to look at the shepherd becoming a lamb. And uh, I believe that all of us are familiar with, with lamb, not really about being a shepherd because we grew up in the city. Uh, I was able to visit uh, Israel about five years ago, and I was able to encounter an actual shepherd taking care of sheep. And it's rather interesting because uh, you know, shepherding is uh, an intricate part of the life of a Jew or an Israelite. And so uh, there is a significant uh, picture why, you know, Jesus had to come not only as a shepherd, but ultimately becoming a sheep for all of us. So I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to go ahead and read the Word of God this morning. We're going to be reading from Micah chapter 5. Can we just remove the echo a bit? Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2 to verse 5. And then we're going to jump to another scripture in Matthew chapter 2. Okay, let's all read from Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty, in the name of the Lord is God, and they shall dwell secure. For now, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And verse 5, and he shall be their what? Peace. Let's go ahead and jump to Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. This was quoted by Matthew coming from the book of Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, is the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, everybody say, from you, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Bless the preaching of your word. Open up our hearts to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us as a church. And may we appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ came here not only as a man, not only as a shepherd, but ultimately became a lamb, the lamb of God, who ultimately took the sins of the world. We thank you, Lord God, for his sacrifice for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right, last week we talked about the book of uh, Isaiah, and Isaiah was actually a prophet during the time of uh, Hezekiah and uh, Ahaz. And one of his contemporaries is Micah. And, you know, last week, if you remember, we talked about Isaiah's prophecy about 700 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he prophesied about this baby or this child to be born from a virgin. And what was his name again? His name is Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God is with us. Everybody say, God with us. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, God is with you today. 
Come on, look at the person beside you. Tell the person, God is with you today and forevermore. How many of you know that God is a faithful God? He's going to be with us forevermore. Amen. And he said, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Not only when we need him, but even in the great times. And many times you remember God in the trying times. How many of you know in the best of times, God is also there with us? And so we studied that last week, God becoming man, that it necessitated for God to become a man, that ultimately for him to be able to give his life for us. And more or less, this message from last week is connected to our message today. That Jesus Christ was also the name given to him because he will save his people from their sins. And how many of you know that we all need salvation? Because all of us are sinners, right? How many of you have done one sin in your life? At least one. Please raise your hand. Well, all of us qualifies there. You know, the Bible says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And so we needed God for, for Him to become a man just like us so that, not, so that He can relate with us, but so that we can relate with Him. And we know that, he, uh, that Him being a uh, priest, He can actually sympathize with our weakness. And uh, we also talked about Him becoming uh, God who is ever-present with us and ultimately, He is one who saves us. Now, when you look at the book of Micah, Micah is actually a shorter book than the Isaiah book. Isaiah consists of several chapters, but Micah only about seven chapters. But what is interesting about Micah is Micah, though he was considered one of the minor prophets, not because he is minor in his anointing, but because of the size of his writing. So you have the major prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, but you have the minor ones like because of the smaller uh, writings. But when you look at Micah, Micah's uh, contemporary is also Isaiah, and he was prophesying also during the time of Ahaz, Jotham, and Hezekiah. And one of his prophetic words was because it was the time when the people of God were actually turning away from him. You know, most of them have actually experienced prosperity. They've experienced the blessings of God. And how many of you sometimes that blessings can become also a testing? That, you know, when we go into a season of blessing, the danger with blessing is sometimes people will forget about who gave them that blessing. And my prayer is that every time we are blessed, that we will continue to acknowledge that it is God who gives us the ability to produce wealth. Amen. But we see that time and time again in the people of God during the Old Testament. You know, it's almost like a regular cycle. You know, them being blessed and then they turn away from God. They become, you know, uh, rebellious in their ways. They forget God and then they become apostate. And then the cycle goes on. God would allow an invader to come in the nation of Israel. They would be invaded. They would cry out to the Lord. They would repent of their ways. And then God would come and deliver them. And he would bless them again, and the cycle continues. How many of you know that sometimes we are kind of like the people of Israel? That, you know, you know, God is faithful to us, He blesses us. But many times, the, the only time that we remember God is when we have needs. Look at the person beside you. Tell that person, is that you? <laughs> Maybe not. But I hope that this will be a good reminder for us. 
that we don't just cry out to God in times of need, but also acknowledge God in times of plenty. And this is where the setting of Micah is. Micah was prophesying because of an impending invasion from Assyria and Babylon. And he was prophesying to them. And he was actually telling them, you know, when God deals with His people, He deals with the people two ways. You know, how many of you know that God sometimes would give us deserved justice? You know, there are consequences of our sins. Amen. And sometimes... If you do something that you know is wrong, sometimes it will catch up with you, isn't it? It's called deserved justice. But I believe many times, God also deals with us with an undeserved grace. Amen. And this is what I like about God. He deals with the sword, and the sword always has two sides. You know, God deals with us, and sometimes God disciplines His children because the Bible says in Hebrews, He disciplines whom He loves. And how many of you are loved by God? We are loved by God. And when we go astray, God allows us to go for a while, but yet He puts us back in the right track and He disciplines us. The same way that I discipline my children when they are in error. When one of my, I was actually just giving the, the rod to one of my girls. Actually, both of them got the rod last about few days ago, we were dealing with disobedience. And one of them, I'm not going to tell the name, was given a chocolate by one of her classmates during class. And the teacher gave the chocolate to her and said, Blank, don't eat this yet. Wait till lunchtime before you eat this because it's classes and there's not yet, you know, it's not yet time for recess. And before the teacher would continue another word, she already gobbled up the chocolate. Don't guess who that was. Okay? And the teacher said, didn't I tell you not to eat that? And what she did was, she just smiled with her cute face and turned away. The teacher was kind enough to talk to me the other day and told me, Pastor A, one of your daughters, did this. And I said, that's an unacceptable behavior in our home and even in our school. Thank you for telling me this because I'm about to draw the sword and discipline one of my beloved daughters. And so I went home the other day. Yesterday, actually, I had to deal with uh, her. And I had to point out, you know, what you did was wrong. I am not giving you the rod because of you eating the chocolate. You can eat chocolates, whatever chocolate brand you like. But it's all about obedience. And I had to, you know, bring her back to the ways of God and remind her, Daddy disciplines you because Daddy loves you. And I don't want you to grow up disobeying me or mom or your teachers or God himself because as early as now, you got to think and you've got to realize that Christianity is all about loving God, honoring Him, and obeying Him. And so lovingly, you know, I told her, go to the bathroom right now. I'm going to deal with you. And she immediately said, Daddy, that's so hard. How many? So I gave her just five, but you know, it was the hard, fast five. 
But then I prayed for her, and I asked her, I want you now to go and pray and ask forgiveness from the Lord. And she asked for forgiveness. And what a touching prayer. And she said, God, help me change my heart because I want to obey. Ultimately, she understood that it was not about the behavior that I'm dealing in her. It's a heart issue that I am dealing with her because ultimately, it was not about the eating the chocolate that I am correcting in her. It was about her disobedience and her defiance, knowing that the teacher told her, and despite the fact that she told her, she disobeyed. And how about us? You know, how many of you that sometimes when God tells us to do something, and if we disobey, God would allow circumstances maybe as a way of God pointing us back to Him, as a way of God disciplining Him? Because how many of you that God doesn't really have a big rod in heaven? Because if God has a big rod in heaven, I don't know where we will be found if He gives us the rod, you know. But He gives us a discipline in whatever area that we're going through right now. Lovingly, He disciplines. An undeserved, a deserved justice is what He gives us. But yet, ultimately, He gives us undeserved grace. Because He allows us to come to Him and experience His Blessing, experience His presence. Today we're going to just look at two things about Jesus. And who is Jesus from this scripture? You know, last week we talked about Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us. He is the God who saves. But now you look at the scripture, who is Jesus in this scripture? Number one, He is a shepherd who protects. Everybody say a shepherd who protects. You know, as I said, how many of you have actually seen a shepherd in your life? You've seen an actual shepherd in your lifetime. Please raise your hand. All right, our friends from India have seen a shepherd. Okay? I haven't until I went to Israel and I've seen it with my very own eyes. An actual shepherd with a staff, you know, leading a sheep. And a shepherd normally protects, provides, gathers, and guides. Everybody say PPGG. So easy. Protects, provides, he gathers and he guides. You know, that is what normally a shepherd does. And I believe that Jesus is the best shepherd there is. Amen. You know, he is the good shepherd. In Matthew 2 verse 6, it says, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And he is the kind of ruler who is not authoritarian, who's not a dictator, he's not a tyrant. He is one who leads, he's one who serves, he's one who provides. And during this time, the people of God were actually facing, you know, their foreign invader, the Roman Empire. There is what is called the Pax Romana during that time. And the Pax Romana is called Roman peace. What is supposed to be a peaceful time in the nation of Israel and in all the other uh, territories of Rome. Because Rome is there, there's no war. So there is some sort of an external peace, supposedly. But how many of you know that there's not really real peace in accordance with the Jew? Because they are being oppressed, oppressed. The very ruler that promised them peace are the ones that are oppressing them. 
And so they were longing for this ruler, this shepherd king, who would come. And they would ask, where or when is this king going to be born? They knew for a fact that he is going to be born in a city or in a, in a town called Bethlehem. Because that has been prophesied about 700 plus years even before the actual birth of Jesus Christ. So one of the significant things about this book of Micah is the prophetic word that the coming of the Savior or the King will be from this town called Bethlehem. And so that's the reason why they were kind of expecting a king who's pumped, a king who's you know, affluent, a king who's rich. They were not expecting a king to be born in a manger. They were not expecting a king to be born with in poverty. They were expecting a king that would be leading them against the Roman Empire. But yet Jesus came in another form. He came as a shepherd and he came to serve. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. And this is the verse right after Jesus declared the thief or the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come to give you what? Life and life more abundant. Life to the full. And that is in John chapter 10, verse 10. In verse 11, he declared, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd what? Lays down his life for his sheep. And that is the imagery that he wants to give to us. He doesn't want to just provide for us. He doesn't want to just gather us. You know, he's a very good shepherd. In fact, he's always used this picture, this stories or analogy of, you know, the, shepherd, the good shepherd would need the 99 in order to look for the one that is lost. And how many of us have been that one sheep that was lost once? Amen. I mean, all of us have been lost once in our life. But the good shepherd sought after us, left the other ones who are not in need of salvation at that time, and go and went and looked for the lost sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I mean, he is really the king that the people were looking for. A king who serves the people. You know, and you know, our president has actually made a statement, Kayo ang Bosco, right? And that's a nice statement. He's actually declaring that Kayo ang Bosco, or you are my boss, then I am your servant. But I believe that Jesus is not saying that we are his boss. You know, Jesus is not really abdicating his authority or his rulership, and he's telling his sheep, you are my boss. Or kayo ang bosko. How many of you know that he is still the boss? Amen. But we have a great boss. We have a kind shepherd. A shepherd that provides, that guides, that protects, and he gathers. He strengthens the weak. He binds the brokenhearted. He seeks the lost. He's one who actually heals the sick and strengthens the weak and brings back those who are astray. That's the shepherd that we have. And we appreciate that. In, in John chapter 10, verse 11, in verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my, know, and my own know me. Or I know my sheep, and my sheep knows me. How many of you know that the sheep is normally familiar with the voice of the shepherd? How many of you have children and they're familiar with your voice? Right? 
you know, if you're in the mall, for example, and if one of your children is lost, how many of you know that you just have to go and shout at his name or her name? If I shout, Anna, you know, there might be hundreds of Annas in the mall, but my very own Anna will know who's calling because she knows the voice of her dad. And Jesus is saying He is the Good Shepherd because He knows us by name. And if we are really His, we know His voice as well. Look at the person beside you. Let's tell the person, encourage that person, not tell that person, God knows you by name. Come on, tell the person beside you, God knows you by name. He knows not only your name, but He knows the number of hair on your head, right? Some are hard to count, some are easier than others. But, you know, that's how intimate our shepherd is. You know, He actually knows us, our makeup, who we are. He was the one who created us. Our inmost being was created by our shepherd. He knows us, and He's willing to lay down His life for us. One of the most famous psalms that we memorize, that we actually quote, we hear this in whatever, weddings or sometimes even funerals, is in Psalm 23. You know that, Do you know that uh, psalm? Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Can we read this verse 3? One, two, three. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I... Oh, sorry, I haven't changed it. Number four, verse 4. Even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because of what? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's interesting here is the shepherd normally just carries one piece of equipment, which is a staff. And yet the Bible says, your rod and your staff, they comfort you. There's always two ways on how the shepherd uses the stick. The rod is meant to discipline those that are getting astray. And the staff is meant to gather also those who are outside the line. What's interesting about Jesus being our shepherd is when He looks at us, we are not perfect all the time. In fact, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 says, All we like sheep, gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own ways. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And this is the picture wherein you know, we as a sheep, as a sheep we have a shepherd, and yet we see that in the same scripture it says that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. What this means is the shepherd became a lamb or a sheep just like us, which leads me to my second and last point. I only have two points. Who is Jesus? He is the shepherd who protects. Secondly, he is the lamb who was sacrificed to bring peace. This same shepherd was actually sacrificed for us. He became the Lamb of God. In verse 5 of Micah, chapter 5, it says, And 
he shall be their peace. You know, how can you define peace? Is peace the absence of conflict? Some people would define peace as the absence of conflict. Or maybe peace is putting down your arms or putting down your weapons and then just saying, peace, man, or whatever. But what they're saying is peace means reconciliation. Those are true. But how many of you know there is always a price for peace? Without sacrifice, there is no peace. Normally, there is a sacrifice in order for peace to be achieved. And we see that in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself giving His life for us. C.S. Lewis says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing apart from the Lord. Amen. We may try to, you know, do things that will give us peace. Maybe go to a nice island resort and relax, you know, in the beach, under the sun, and there's no, whatever, no work, no internet. And some people would say, this is peace. Or maybe you run away, you know, maybe you and your wife, you know, get away from your children. Without children, this is peace. At least for a while. And we would define peace as that, but you know what? Without God, there is no peace. You can actually, in the most trying times, but if God is there, how many of you know there is peace? Because peace is not the absence of storm. You can actually be in the middle of the storm. In fact, if you look at the eye of the storm, that is right smack in the center of the storm, but yet that is where you will find the most peace and tranquility inside the heart of a storm. And that's where we find God. Have you ever seen a lamb? Many of us go to the grocery and every time we go to the grocery, you know, from the chicken to the fish to the beef to the pork and then there's lamb chops. We're familiar with lamb, but you know, we don't really look at the lamb like this. Here we've seen this in the picture, but we haven't really, been, really seen it, uh, you know, roaming around the city of Manila. We're more familiar with lamb like this, right? Oh, man. Why did I do that? Anyway, <laughs> it's lunchtime. Anyway, so lamb chops is what we think about when you talk about lamb or when I say lamb. What we don't realize is in the nation of Israel, lamb is actually an intricate part of their culture. Not only is a lamb eaten by the family, but a lamb is meant for sacrifice. When you talk about a lamb in the nation of Israel, it always meant sacrifice. There has to be a giving of this cute little thing, this creature, his life, so that the people can actually be forgiven from their sins. You know, when Jesus went to John the Baptist one day, John the Baptist said, and he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, look, the lamb of what? God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know, sometimes we would look and read, you know, lamb, you know, that's nice, lamb chops, or rack of lambs, you know, or whatever. Whenever there's lamb, there's meat, mint or something. But, you know, when you talk about lamb in the nation of Israel, it's always about sacrifice. It's always about offering in the altar. And there are 
like quickly, there are three pictures that we can actually point or a foreshadow of the use of lamb in the Old Testament. One is during the time of Abraham and Isaac. Remember that story? When Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22, when he was bringing his son Isaac in the mountain to sacrifice, Isaac was asking his dad, Dad, the wood is here, the fire is here, but where is the lamb? Abraham did not really say, you are the lamb, my son. But what Abraham said was, the Lord will provide. He will provide the lamb for us. And true enough, when they were climbing one side of the mountain, there is a ram, a male lamb, who is climbing the other side of the mountain. And when God saw the faith of, I, uh, of Abraham about to you know, slay his son, he stopped Abraham and he said, use this ram instead. And the ram or the lamb was killed instead of his son, Isaac. The picture of substitution was there. Isaac, the son, was spared because a lamb was sacrificed in his place. Are we getting the picture? The lamb is meant for a sacrifice. You know, last week, I actually, with my wife, watched uh, Exodus, uh, the movie. Okay, don't ask me if it's accurate. You know, some parts are accurate, some parts are not. You got to read your Bible. I appreciate the cinematograph- uh, cinematographic effects. But what's eye-opening for me is when I saw the Jews going out and when Moses said, I want each family to get a lamb, kill the lamb, get the blood, and put the blood on the doorpost. And when the angel of death would come and see that blood on that doorpost, he will pass over this house. And all the children and all everybody in the house will be saved. In the house of the Jews, there were not one died. Not one of the sons or the firstborns died in the house of the Jews. But among the Egyptians, the firstborn male died because there was no blood of the lamb found in any other house. What's the difference? Are the Jews more righteous than the Egyptians? Are they more perfect? Are they the ones who are always obeying the law and they're saying, you know, we're going to follow the Ten Commandments? No, they're not. The only difference is the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb was put on the doorpost. It's a picture of Christ hanging on that tree that when He was actually being crucified and His blood was there on the cross. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. That's the only way. Because the Jews trusted, get this, they trusted that what Moses said was true. That Moses merely told them, just get a lamb, kill it, put it on the doorpost, and wait. The angel of death will pass, and he will pass over you. It's all about faith. Amen. It's not about who we are. It's not about what we've done. It's not about how good we were. It's not about, you know, what you were, you know, whether you're a religious person or not, whether you go to church, you know, in Akasha, and then after this you go to festival mall. It's not about being religious. It's all about putting our faith in the finished work of Christ. 
And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For Christ, who is our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. I hope that we get this because this is so important to our faith. Sometimes we just read it and then we just, you know, I appreciate Lord, you are my lamb. But do we really understand what this lamb means to us? He died on the cross. In fact, it was during the Passover feast that Jesus took the last supper with his disciples. And he said, remember this. I'm giving to you my body. And you're going to pass it down from generation. That's why we have communion. As an act to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. The third picture of the lamb in the Old Testament is during the sacrificial system in the temple, every time somebody would offer a lamb to the priest, in Exodus chapter 29, just take note of the scripture, what they would do first is, before this lamb is slaughtered, the person who is a sinner who's bringing the lamb will lay his hands on the lamb. Why is that? You're praying for healing for the lamb? No. You're actually, what you're doing is you're doing an imputation. You're passing your guilt and your sins on that lamb. And the innocence of that lamb is passed down to you. And that's exactly what happens on the cross. We call this double imputation. Jesus Christ became sin for us so that we can ultimately become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Can we just give the Lord praise this morning? That's exactly what happened on the cross. When you look at the cross, you know, we're not actually laying hands on the cross, but that's exactly what happens when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're saying is, Lord, my sins are yours and your righteousness is mine. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us what? Peace. The punishment that God put on him was the one that brought us peace before the Lord. And by his wounds we are healed. In verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He could have actually released legions of angels on that cross because it was unjust for him to die. He was, a, he was a sinless man and he took our place on that cross. Peace is not the absence of conflict but actually the presence of God who brings peace to us. Do we really understand what this means that when Jesus Christ on that cross, he was hanging on that cross? You know, one of the most, I guess, vivid movies that we can actually find about Jesus Christ dying on the cross is The Passion of the Christ. How many of you have seen the Passion of the Christ movie? I mean, it is so violent. It is so graphic. It is so bloody. I mean, you see his blood, you know, just splashing all over the place. And we see the physical punishment that was being brought down to the Lord at that time. And 
you know, some of the reactions of the people after they watched that movie was, you know, how dare the Jews did that to Jesus? You know, how, how cruel could they be? But you know what? In reality, it was not the Jews who did that to him. It was us who did that to him. It was our sins, amen, who did that to him. The Bible says we just read earlier, the punishment that was brought to him was actually the one that brought us peace. We see that as a, as a physical, you know, uh, a physical drama, you know, that movie, but do we really understand what happens in the spiritual? You know, that when Jesus Christ actually said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, for the first time, he addressed his father as God and not his father. Did you notice that? Every time he would pray, he would say, my father, my father, would you take this cup away from me? My father. But at that point, in that, on that cross, there was one point when he said, my God, my God, because there was an actual separation of the father for a brief moment because of the sin and the guilt and the condemnation that was poured out on him from mankind. Imagine this, billions of people on the planet. All our sins. You know, if there's an average, you know, if you commit three, uh, three sins a day on, a, on the average, and if you live, what? Let's say, for example, 70. That's about 70,000 sins for one person alone. Times how many billions there are in the planet who's living now? Those who lived before and those who will live in the future. Multiply that. Do the math. Okay? That's a lot of numbers. A lot of sins. Pour down on Jesus. Can you imagine the weight that He felt on that cross? All the sin of mankind, all the curse, all the guilt, all the condemnation was put on Christ. It was not just a physical thing that happened on that cross. Something spiritual and supernatural happened on that cross. So that every time we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father looks at us and He does not see guilt and sin and condemnation in us. But what He sees in us is the blood of Jesus covering us because He clothed us with His righteousness. Amen. Jesus is the shepherd who became the Lamb of God who brought us peace. What's interesting is when the Apostle John was given a vision of heaven, he was actually exiled in the island of Patmos most of his contemporary apostles were killed by this time. He was the only one alive. He was one of the longest living apostles that there was who walked with Christ. And the vision that God showed him was a picture of heaven. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, he was talking about this you know, person sitting on the throne who's got a scroll and there's a seal on that scroll. And he was crying because no one was qualified to open up the seal of the scroll. And this was the response of one of the elders in heaven in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Amen. And how many of you are in heaven? We have victory in heaven. Amen. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
He's ruling and reigning. And the, the elders are saying, He is qualified to open the scroll and to open the seals. What's amazing is all of heaven is seeing Jesus as the lamb, or the, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when John looked up, this is what he saw in verse 6. Right after that statement, and he said this, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a what? A lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns speaking of authority and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What heaven saw was a lion. What John saw was a lamb. Because we are all recipients of the grace of God through that lamb. The angels, the creatures in heaven do not understand this concept of being forgiven. They've never sinned. But for us, people on this earth, we who sinned before the Lord saw Him plainly as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How can we respond today? You see in the there were two thieves on the cross. There were three crosses. One cross was Jesus and there were two other crosses. The first cross looked at Jesus and mocked him. And he said, you know, you're, if you are the son of God, you should have you know, saved us. But the other one in humility said, Lord, remember me today. I am a sinner. And he asked for forgiveness. Two thieves on the cross, two sinners, both in the same plane, different response. One mocked what Jesus did. One was grateful for what he did. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, even without him doing anything, today, you will be with me in paradise. Simply because of what Jesus Christ did, he sacrificed and this thief on the cross believed that blood is able to cleanse him and qualify him for eternal life. We hope you were inspired by that message. For more updates, visit us on our website at www.victoryalabang.org and download the Victory Alabang app for your mobile devices. Thank you and have a Merry Christmas!